Well, good morning once again, church. Doesn't it feel like this is the week where the holidays finally begin? You know, I've actually seen several houses with like Christmas lights up already and Christmas trees. I'm like, y'all are a little bit too early for me. Uh, but uh, it's after Thanksgiving, guys, after Thanksgiving. That's, that's the only time it's, it's, it's allowed. Uh, but no, it, it feels like the, the holidays have begun. Um, and so I want to say welcome. Uh, welcome to the time of year where you are, on one hand, supposed to be grateful for everything you have in your life. And on the other hand, you're going to be hearing about how much stuff you need because your life is so terrible without it. You're going to be bombarded with message upon message about how much stuff you must absolutely have in order to have joy. I mean, isn't there a tension this time of year between those two things? Uh, it, it happens every year, but it's this tension that will, will I be greedy or will I be grateful? Will you get or will you give? Will you, will you be content or will you covet? That's the choice before us. Uh, if you're visiting this morning or just joining us, we've been in a sermon series called The Ten Commandments Today, How Ancient Laws Lead to a Flourishing Life, and we're actually at commandment number 10, you shall not covet. Let's look at the entire text up on the screen for us. Here we go. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, as I said last week, the, the Ten Commandments are so foundational, and we could be tempted to kind of limp to the end here and think, you know, the tenth one, it's, it's, it's the least out of the ten. Uh, that, that's really not the case. This, out of the 600 laws in the Old Testament, these are the top ten. They are foundational. And really, this one ties together the other nine that have come before into a cohesive whole. And you might be tempted to think that these Ten Commandments, they're, you know, they're, they're a bunch of thou shalt nots, you know, they're kind of sterile, they're on, the, they're on the tablets of stone, and you might think that these are kind of emotionless or heartless commands, and that really just the New Testament gets to the heart more. Well, certainly we, we know from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus did get to the heart of some of these commandments, but God addressing the matters of the heart is woven in from the very beginning of these commandments. This is a command that addresses our hearts, our desires. Covet is a word for desire. And then there, there's a second uh, Hebrew word in Deuteronomy that means to, to set your desire or to have a craving for something. These are, these are things that the heart wants. And so we are not to set our desire on what belongs to our neighbor, uh, their spouse, their house and land, which represents also their financial income and ability, their business, uh, or any of their possessions. It's, it, this command recognizes that sin begins internally in the heart. And it begins when we cultivate these evil desires. Coveting is intimately connected to the other nine commandments. It's a consistent thread throughout all of them. Let's, let's think about this. We worship other gods or we worship idols because we desire things that we don't trust God to give us. And that's what many of the ancient people did. They worshiped other idols because they were the God of peace or they were the God of security or they were the God of financial prosperity. And if I worship this God, then that God will get me what I want. 
Often we misuse God's name because we want to use it to get what we want. We don't, we don't honor the Sabbath because we, we covet more and we don't trust that God will be enough. We might not honor our parents because we don't want to use our resources or our time to support our aging parents, as we talked about that being one of the main points of that commandment. People murder and are angry with others because they're not getting what they want. People commit adultery and lust because they desire someone else who does not belong to them. People steal because they desire something that's not theirs. People lie because they desire power and positions and policies and other people. So coveting is connected to the other nine and really concludes the Ten Commandments well. Coveting, our greedy, self-centered desire, is at the heart of of breaking God's life-giving commands. It addresses the heart. Now, flash-forwarding to the New Testament, the story that Stan uh, read for us earlier, this rich man comes up to Jesus and and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I, and I hope a few things after this series you recognize, you know, Jesus says, well, first of all, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. And uh, after you've been through a series on the Ten Commandments, can't you recognize none of us are good? <laughs> Not, none of us can live up to these commandments. Thank God that Jesus is the perfect one. He is the one who kept all of God's commandments and died in our place so that we can receive forgiveness. But then I also hope you are not surprised that Jesus kind of just tells it to him straight, like he just quotes the Ten Commandments, especially the, the latter half, right? And he says, these are the paths of life, flourishing life, abundant life, eternal life through the grace and empowerment of God and the Holy Spirit. And the rich man says to Jesus, well, teacher, I've, I, I've kept all of these since my youth. And Jesus, he, he looks at him, he he loves him. I think he sees that there, there, he has this heart. He wants to be good. He wants to follow God. He wants to do what God requires him to do. But Jesus, he looks at him and he sees that heart, but he also sees, oh, you lack one thing. You're doing well in all these other commandments, but there, there, there's just one area where you're not surrendered yet. Sell what you, own, what you own. Give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked. He went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Jesus can look into the heart of every person. This man's heart, it was divided. He wanted to follow God. He wanted to obey God, but he also loved stuff and acquiring possessions. His heart was tied up into what he had owned. And in this instance, it's not that he's coveting other people's stuff specifically, it's that he's coveted goods in general, which has prevented him from living a life of generosity, especially to the poor, which is foundational for following and obeying God both in the Old and the New Testaments. And it just got me thinking, what does Jesus see when he looks into our hearts? I imagine he might see similar things to what he saw in this man, people who love God, who love Jesus, who want to follow him, but perhaps Man, there's an area. Are we surrendered in this area? Are we, are, we, are we partially caught up in what we own or in the things of this world? You know, Jesus said in a different parable, Luke 12, he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist 
in the abundance of possessions. Why do we buy all kinds of stuff? Because we think life consists in that. We think abundant life is there. We think this will make me happy. If I only had this, then I would have the happiness that I seek. But Jesus says, don't believe that lie. One's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Don't let your lifestyle be based on a lie that's not true. Life is not found in that. Possessions won't make you happy. They won't give you life. What will give you life? What will give you the peace that you seek? As Christians, we're called to practice contentment in Christ. As Paul said, to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's the mindset of a Christian. Christ is my contentment. Let me just read to you a few other verses on this theme. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And pause on that. You see how the contentment is based on the presence of Christ. It's Christ who's not leaving. It's Christ who's not forsaking. Therefore, I keep my life free from the love of money and possessions. 1 Timothy 6, we brought nothing into this world so we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. And as Paul said in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Did you notice there he said he learned it? Contentment is something learned. It's not something that we just have inherently. It's something that we have to put into practice and continually learn and practice over time. So how do we learn this? How do we learn contentment in a world of so many abundance of things? Let, let me just suggest to you this morning three practices. The first of which is going to be gratitude. Gratitude. We covet things because we're not content. And we struggle to be content because we do not practice gratitude enough. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? God made this, this beautiful world for Adam and Eve to be in, a world of abundance of, of fruit and trees and, and animals and everything was in harmony. And yet, the covetous desire rose within Adam and Eve. Here's the one thing that, that God said, I can't have, that's what they want. Couldn't they have been grateful for the world God had given them? They had to practice gratitude. And that's, but that's so true for us, right? Because you can be so focused on what you don't have, you're missing out on the joy of what you do have. Might we be caught in that struggle this morning? This, this lack of gratitude is actually foundational. It's behind much of the, the foolish thinking of the world. In fact, Paul says this in Romans 1 when he's talking about the fall of humankind. He says, For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images or idols. See, when we fail to worship Him, when we fail to properly give Him thanks, we, we become futile in our thinking, our hearts grow dark, and we start seeking what God is supposed to give us in other things, in idols, in the things of this world. And remember, idols promised different versions of prosperity, peace, and security. 
So when we don't give thanks to God, we seek to meet our needs, our spiritual needs, through other things. And if we aren't regularly recognizing that God is our Heavenly Father, caring for us, providing for us, thanking Him, you'll begin to sense there's something missing. You'll begin to sense that there is a lack, and you'll seek to fill that lack within with something other than God. And when we do that, we will not find the happiness that we think those things promise. You will live restlessly and anxiously. St. Augustine said almost 1,700 years ago, our, our hearts are restless until they rest in God because our hearts were made for God. The Apostle Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes you ever wonder, God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. It couldn't be more clear. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this is, this is part of our learning to grow in maturity as we learn to do this more often, more regularly, more habitually. My, my son Levi uh, is two. Uh, he is he's very cute. I, I personally think he's very cute. Uh, <laughs> and uh, what's really cute right now, what's really melting my heart is when he says thank you. Uh, and, he, and he says it in such a high-pitched tone. You know, is, uh, I'll hand him an apple. Thank you, Dad. I go get him some water. Thank you, Dad. I mean, he's just, he's just so excited to, to thank me for these little things. And it, and it, it does warm and melt my heart. And I, I, I think in the same way, it, it melts God's heart when we say thank you as well. But I was thinking too, for the little that my son can understand, he can recognize when I've given him something. Um, and, but he can only, at this stage of his life, he can only recognize, I estimate, about... 0.01% of all the things his parents do for him. <laughs> this is not a scientific survey. It's my, my own estimation because he is 100% dependent on me and Laura. Everything he needs, his food, his clothing, getting dressed for church, all of these things we do for him, he's 100% dependent, but he can only recognize about 0.01%. But I wonder... And do we have that same mentality with God? We can only recognize, I think, about 0.01% of all God does for us. We are 100% dependent on our Heavenly Father. Paul says, in Him we live and move and have our being. You're alive this morning because of God. The breath in your lungs is because of your Creator. Everything you need. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Everything good in your life comes from God. Sometimes we only thank Him when man, we got what we wanted, we got our prayer request was answered. Thank you, Lord. And I think the Lord honors that. But I'm, I guess I'm challenging you, could we do more? Could we thank God more? Could we go from 0.01% to 002 Because He deserves it. He gives us so much good things, and it delights the heart of God, and it's good for us when we give Him thanks. So especially in this season, I challenge you to practice gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances. The second practice that helps us learn contentment would be simplicity. When we are content, that means we are satisfied with what we currently have. 
God created many things in this world for our enjoyment, for our pleasure, um, and I truly hope this week you can enjoy God's good gifts, uh, a warm home, some good food, uh, some friends or family around the table playing a game, listening to Christmas music beginning only on Friday. <laughs> some of you start way too early, way too early. I hope you can enjoy these good gifts of God. The disciple of Jesus enjoys these things and gives thanks, and we must also cultivate this, this lifestyle of simplicity, because uh, sometimes we go beyond into uh, greed and excess. And so the Bible talks about getting rid of that excess sometimes, simplifying it. Jesus says to this rich man, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Stop storing up treasures on earth. Start storing them in the kingdom to come because we can't take anything with us anyway. Paul says if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. This is really important because our society is built upon a capitalistic structure which depends on more goods and services being purchased continually. So billions of dollars are spent in this country. Actually, billions of dollars worldwide. I saw one estimate, about $674 billion are spent on advertising worldwide. Wow, it's a lot of money. What is that money trying to do to you? It's trying to generate in your heart a sense of lack a sense that you don't have what you need, a sense that there is a, something missing and that this product or service will meet that need. That's what $674 billion are going towards in this world. And so that's why even Jesus said this 2,000 years ago, but might it not more apply more forcefully today? Take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed, all the things in our hearts that want excess, so there is a spiritual discipline of resisting acquiring and or upgrading our things. Now, this is not easy to discern because sometimes it is perfectly fine and even wisdom to acquire things or upgrade things. So it's, it's not easy to discern what is right in particular cases. And God gives us many things to enjoy, that's true. But Jesus did tell us, be on guard. So I guess I would ask you, is your posture on guard? Are your defenses up at all against the things of this world that try to get, bite you and lure you into greed and excess? Because of the world we live in, because of the money that's being spent on this, because of Satan's schemes in our own flesh, we got to be careful, be on guard against these things. But it's not just for simplicity's sake. We do it for the love of God and we do it to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are content with or even maybe decrease our standard of living so we can increase our standard of giving. Sell your possessions, Jesus said to the rich man and to others, and give to the poor. That leads me to the final practice, which would be generosity. We learn contentment by practicing generosity. This may be the most potent antidote against coveting because it's kind of coveting's opposite. Coveting would be trying to get someone's things or what they have or match them. Generosity would be giving someone something. It's nearly, it's coveting's opposite. So Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Generosity is 
really connected especially to the first two commandments as well. Do we love God enough to be generous? Do we trust Him? Do we fear Him enough to be generous? Martin Luther said, a man is generous because he trusts God and never doubts, but that he will always have enough. In contrast, a man who is covetous and anxious because he does not trust God. And remember for Luther, obeying the first two commandments, is, uh, especially the first, is fearing, loving, and trusting God more than anything else. And so really, to be generous, you have to trust that God is providing for you 100%, as we talked about. The, the, the ruler of this universe is behind you. He's for you. And so therefore, you can give it away because God is for you, not against you. You can be incredibly generous when you trust that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What is Paul saying there? Trust that God can bless you abundantly so that you can participate in every good work, in every act of generosity that becomes available to you because you know God is behind you and can bless you and prosper you so that you'll always have what you need. So therefore, you can be generous. And I think it's helpful to grow in generosity to be a regular, habitual practice. If you look at the people of God in the Old Testament, they had all, God set up all kinds of systems for the people. The, the tithes and offerings you know about, uh, but there was also the law about leaving the edges of your field so that the poor could come and glean amongst the, the extra crops. There's also the law about the sabbatical year and releasing of debts every seven years and releasing the, the hired servants in your home and then the year of jubilee every 50 years. I mean, there were so many habitual, regular things to curb the excess that we tend towards and so that the lowly, the poor, the foreigner, the widow, the oppressed could be lifted up because God's people were generous. So I think it's helpful for us too to find regular ways, whether it's our, our tithes and offerings to the church, the special times of giving like we've done for our, for our debt, or ways that we give in secret that the Lord only knows about. And that's a really good kind of giving as well. Uh, and I'm pretty confident this morning, I'm, I'm really preaching to the choir. Uh, this is a generous church. Y'all are generous people. We're going to celebrate that this morning. We're super excited for that. But we do all struggle with contentment and greed, don't we? So might generosity be a practice we can lean into this season as a way of resisting uh, this excess desire uh, that is so prevalent among us? So let me just remind you this morning to resist coveting and to practice to learn contentment we learn the art of gratitude, simplicity, and generosity. And it really just comes down to those questions I asked you. Will you be grateful or greedy? Will you, be, will you covet or will you be content? Will you get, gimme, 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 or will you give? This holiday season, may you resist the lies that you need more and better possessions and may you find gratitude in enjoying what God has already given you, and may you find joy in giving that to others.